welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest today is Dr. Howard Schubner. He's an internist and the director of the Mind Body Center at Ascension Providence Hospital in Southfield, Michigan. He's a pioneer in the mind-body approach to treating chronic pain and the author of Unlearn Your Pain. Welcome. Thank you, Tom. Howard, welcome to the show. Um, I'd like to introduce um, Dr. Schumer Howard as my mentor. Um, he has been one of the pioneers in mind-body medicine for a long period of time. He does work at Providence Hospital in Southfield, Michigan. He's, he's a clinical professor, but really is remarkably academic. Clinical professors generally do mostly teaching. He does teaching and a lot of research. He's authored more than 100 publications in scientific journals and books. He lectures regionally, nationally, and internationally. He's the author of three books <clears throat> on learning your pain, on learning your anxiety, depression, and hidden from you. He also works with Dr. Alan Abbas, who's also a psychiatrist out of Canada, who's also very academic. And he lives in the Detroit area with his wife for 37 years and has two adult children. So Howard, welcome. I'm excited to have you on the show. I've been trying to you know, get to you for a while, but we're both so busy. Thank so you. Um, yeah, thanks for being on the show. So I just want to, I'll tell my, just introduce the story really quickly about how we met. So I put a course on in Seattle, a Swedish hospital called a course on compassion, empathy in the face of chronic pain. <clears throat> and Howard is my keynote speaker. And I realized somehow through work with my pain psychologist that the patient-physician relationship was really critical, but I didn't really understand it then very well. So Howard came and gave this lecture on what's called mind-body syndrome. Meanwhile, I had experienced 17 different physical symptoms that made no sense to me at all. And Howard, do you remember what happened next when my wife came up and started to talk to you about that lecture? Uh, not exactly. I remember uh, making a joke about the... Uh needing one person to to change in the audience and I think that person was you <laughs> yeah <laughs> well I think my wife came up to you at the break well first of all she well, you started listening to these 30 symptoms so I remember the slide and I started looking through these symptoms and I started counting and I think I had 16 or 17 symptoms and then my wife just started poking me into the ribs which almost gave me another symptom then she started talking to you at the break and she started to talk about this friend of hers who had all these symptoms. And you go, you mean your husband? <laughs> so that's how, that's how this all started. But I have to tell you within 10 minutes, this entire process changed. So I had some success with healing people, seeing people heal and some of the approaches we'll talk about in a second, but I didn't have any explanation for it. I didn't know why all these things happened. And this started a huge chapter moving forward of what, was going on in my body was creating so many physical symptoms. So Howard, can you give a, a little background? I know you worked at Dr. Sarno a bit, you run your own pain program, which has also evolved, but I really wanna spend the time in both parts of our podcast of the structure that you just described to me before we talk. Could you just give a brief overview of your approach in the overview of these four components? Yeah, sure, David. I mean, the, the first thing is uh, making an assessment. So I'm a physician, I'm an internal medicine specialist. And, uh, you know, we are known for being good diagnosticians. And I take very seriously my 
role as a physician in helping to understand what's wrong with somebody. Because as every doctor knows, almost any symptom can be caused by a structural, you know, biomedical problem. But we also have learned over the last several years that almost any symptom can be caused by a neural circuit problem or can be literally brain induced in the absence of any physical injury. And sometimes you have a little bit of both, of course. So my first job is to assess that. And I've developed a lot of, I've just read a ton about it and I've developed a lot of ways of helping to characterize uh, uh, and standardize how I do that. I mean, the first step is ruling out a structural problem. And basically we do that by the normal medical workups. You know, if someone has headaches, we're checking their MRI of their brain. We're checking their teeth, their sinuses, their ears, their jaw, you know, the usual things. Right. They have stomach pain. We're doing the same thing with all the stomach tests. They have back pain, you know, et cetera. But we're not over-interpreting the tests. And as you well know, and I'm and you've, you've written about so uh, eloquently and elegantly in your work, uh, is that you know most most normal people have abnormal MRIs of their back, so we don't want to overinterpret tests. So the rule out component is first, but the rule in component is really what I focused a lot of my attention on. By that I mean ruling in a neural circuit problem. If there's no structural problem that we can ident clearly identify, sometimes the patient still feels well. Maybe they missed something, or I don't really know, but. If someone has back pain that sometimes is in their upper back and sometimes is in their lower back, that shows that the pain is turning on and off from one segment, one neural circuit of one pain to another neural circuit of another pain. If their pain goes away when they're on vacation, then it's turning on and it's turning off. Can you explain to the audience just really clearly, I started to interrupt you there, but um, the concept of neural circuits, that's something that sounds familiar to you and I, but I'm not sure the audience understands that term very well, neural circuitry or neural circuits. Yeah, yeah, I was going to get into that in a second. But um, the idea, of course, is that how do we uh, how do we talk? How do we walk? How do we skip? How do we snap our fingers? How do we ride a bike? These are all neural circuits that our brain has learned. How do we under play the violin or even understand a, a language or a foreign language? These are all neural circuits. And so we have neural circuits for catching a ball, for throwing a ball. Uh, we have neural circuits for pain. And, uh, you know, the fact is that our brains uh, create what we experience. And this is a model called predictive coding. So predictive coding is the second major thing that I help people understand, which is the you know, brain pain neuroscience. Uh, predictive coding means that when we touch a hot stove, it's not our finger that's actually causing the pain. It's actually the brain. The finger sends signals to the brain, and those signals are encoded and interpreted by the brain. Usually when you touch a hot stove, your brain will immediately turn on pains to protect you. But we know from tons of examples that not all injuries cause pain. So if someone can have an injury and the brain may decide something else is more important, like their life is in danger, and so they, that the pain due to that injury will just not be activated. So the brain controls what we feel. The story I always tell is how my wife has the same breakfast every morning, sliced, sliced apple, yogurt, granola. And a couple of summers ago, one morning, she had an extra slice. She came up to the bedroom. She fed it to me. I didn't see it. It was dark. 
and I bit on it and I got this rotten taste in my mouth. It turned out it wasn't an apple that day. She had peaches. So she gave me a peach slice. Um, but my brain was expecting apple. And my brain was expecting a crunch. And it didn't get the crunch. So my brain interpreted that apple as being rotten. It gave me a rotten taste, even though the peach was sweet. So it created something that didn't exist. Our brains create what we experience. And this right. is predictive coding. So. When we can understand that, then we can understand, for example, another part of this rule in a neural circuit problem is when the pain is triggered by an innocuous stimulus, like the pain is triggered by a cool, a cool breeze, or the pain is triggered by lights or by sound or by a change in the weather. And when those things happen, what we're seeing is that the brain is, is reacting to those situations, those triggers, by turning on pain. And when we find that, it catches the brain in this neural circuit. We can diagnose that neural circuit. And then we can work with it to help them unlearn their pain, unlearn these neural circuits uh, by changing their reaction to the trigger and changing their reaction to the pain itself. I mean, I agree with you about the workup. I mean, the medical workup, I, as I became more into this, there was a small phase where I would try treating the neural circuitry first, then do the workup later. But I had anxiety, the patient had anxiety, and it just didn't work very well. And then being diligent in my workups, as you know, cancers and tumors and infections, a lot of diseases just had nonspecific symptoms that don't really tell you what the diagnosis is until you actually work it up. So I agree with you, a completely thorough workup is really critical. And what I'm really interested, you've been in lectures the last couple of years about certain patterns of pain, et cetera, that say this is probably a neural circuitry problem, even though we're still diligent in rolling things out. And this predictive coding is really critical because you know that's how we get around. I, if I walk across the street, I expect my brain to be keep me safe and I don't walk out in front of a car. I predict the cars a certain ways down the street. It'll take a certain amount of time to get to me. So I predict I'll be safe and I walk out into the street. So yeah, this predictive coding model, again, that's you're the one that turned me onto this through um, Lisa Feldman Barrett's work. And it's yeah. really a huge factor is how we get programmed to, to stay safe. One of what's my questions really is so- What's really important about it is that this, you said, you know, you, you, we predict that the street will be dangerous, right? But this is a subconscious mechanism, of course. Right. This is not a conscious process. Right. Our, it's a danger, you know, what I call the danger alarm mechanism in the brain that keeps us safe by not letting us walk into trap because we'll, we'll, we'll shake and we'll get afraid and we won't do it. Right. And research shows, of course, that our brain is wired so that emotions and stress and trauma activate the exact same danger signal in the brain as does a physical injury. Right. So emotions and stress, and that's just how our brain is wired. Uh, and that's been shown in a variety of research studies using fMRI of the brain. And so an emotional stress can activate the exact same danger signal of the brain as if one had touched a hot stove. So the pain that can occur due to an emotional response is exactly the same as a pain that can occur to a physical injury. There's no difference. So all right. pain, of course, is real. It's not like it's imagined pain where there's real pain and, and not real pain. All pain is real from that point of view because all pain originates in the brain. Right. Yeah, you just there's nothing in my hands that says this computer is cool or that I that light's a little bit too bright. So my brain has to state that. So 
I'd like to use the next question to go into your second concept about pain education is that, and correct me if I'm not saying this correctly, but I've always taught that acute pain is absolutely necessary to survive and keep yourself safe. So you don't exceed the limits of a given structure. And again, most of it's unconscious. So acute pain is actually necessary to stay alive. Whereas chronic pain, I, I could be wrong on this one. I, I'm pretty clear, I'm pretty sure that there's really nothing useful about chronic pain. Is that a fair yeah. statement? Yeah, no, I think that's very fair. Um, our bodies weren't as, our, our brain and body wasn't designed or evolved to, to have chronic pain. Because people are asking me all the time, well, I had an injury, I hurt my back, you know, 10 years ago, or I twisted my knee, or why am I in pain now? Uh, you know, well, I've got scoliosis, something we've worked on, or I've got, you know, one leg, one leg is longer than the other. And there's so everyone has these minor abnormalities that occur, but we were designed and evolved over a long time to be able to function without pain in a chronic way. The acute pain is there as an emergency mechanism to protect us from injury. The interesting thing about chronic pain is I believe it's a similar thing. It's also to protect us from danger, but it's not due to physical danger. Almost, you know, rarely is it due to physical danger, chronic pain, unless, you know, you have an ongoing malignancy that's painful or an ongoing infection or something like that. But most chronic pain is not due to a physical injury. And so if we want to think of it as protecting us or as part of the danger alarm signal in the brain, we can interpret it as for, that there's, it's there for one of basically two reasons. One, um, there's ongoing emotional stress in our life that is continuing to activate the danger signal, which is continuing to activate pain or other symptoms. It doesn't have to be pain, of course. It can be fatigue, insomnia, anxiety, depression, um, et cetera. And the other main reason is that there's this vicious cycle of feedback loop that goes because we have pain and we respond to the pain with fear and worry and frustration. And that fear and worry and frustration further activates the danger signal and becomes a vicious cycle of pain leading to fear, leading to pain. And so that's the second mechanism by, I think, by which chronic pain occurs. Is there any equivalent of chronic pain in the mammals kingdom besides humans? Is there, is there any animal species that exhibits chronic pain? Because to me, chronic pain is a function of consciousness in humans. Is, do you know about any examples in the animal kingdom where there is chronic pain? There's obviously experiments or, or animals are deprived or trapped. They're obviously in chronic physical threat. But I'm not aware of anything in the animal kingdom that really approximates human chronic pain. I'm not aware of that either. And of course, uh, Sapolsky has written very uh, eloquently about how, uh, you know, why don't zebras get ulcers, famous book, you know, from 30 years, 40 years ago now, uh, of how animals have these mechanisms of shaking off stress and trauma, literally shaking it off, uh, like how um, a deer will just shake after being pursued by a lion, assuming they, you know, survive. So yeah, uh, animals certainly have ways of, of um, you know, turning, a, of, of making acute stress de-stress, you know, turning on the parasympathetic nervous system after the right. sympathetic nervous system is turned on. But humans have the capacity of being in a constant 
or recurrent, <laughs> recurring or continual uh, state of alarm and danger due to uh, how we've structured our lives. Well, you and I agree on one thing, I think pretty clearly that <clears throat> in chronic pain, you're in a constant threat, either from pain or other circumstances or emotional pain. And that a lot of the success in treating chronic pain is creating a sense of safety. And the sense of safety can come from physically changing your circumstances, understanding them better. And you talked about the first two things, first of all, being diagnosis and assessment. So one thing of making people feel safe is really assuring them that there's not cancer or tumor or infection. So you, you make the diagnosis to rule in this neural circuitry issue and rule out a trauma and tumor. And the same thing that helps create safety <clears throat> is knowledge is power. And so the more, more they understand neural circuitry type pain, why the safer they're gonna feel. So I'm curious, I know you can't explain this in a huge amount of detail in a few minutes, but what's the essence of what you try to explain to a given patient about chronic pain? And why should well, they believe you? I mean, they've been through everything, they've been bounced around, they haven't been helped very much. Why, why, what do you, what's your approach when you talk to somebody who doesn't really understand it and really is frustrated and when you're frustrated, it's hard to understand. So what's your approach when you're trying to explain chronic pain to a given patient? Well, you know, the first thing is, is caring and compassion. We've talked about this and that's why you brought me out to Seattle for that very uh, first talk, right? Because if you don't care about the patient, if they don't know that you care about them, if they don't know you love them, why would they even listen to you? Right. So okay. it really starts with a connection. And that connection is basically what we're saying is I care about you. I wanna do everything I possibly can to help you. You have been through, you know, a lot. <laughs> I can't imagine what that would be like, right? So the first thing is to make a connection so they can open their mind and listen to what you have to say. Because so many times doctors have treated them poorly or their hands, the doctor's hand is on the doorknob heading out right. the door, right? right. Uh, so, so they have to, you have to get them to the point where they can listen because we're asking them to change their mind in some way, shape, Right. And this, the second thing is, is that we, we are, of course, listening to their, then we're listening to their story and hearing it. So I spend a lot of time listening and, and making them stop and go slow and say, wait, what did you mean by that? What happened then? Tell me about this. How does it, you know, what is it doing? So they really know that I'm paying incredible attention to what they're saying and what their symptoms are. I don't want to miss anything. And the third thing is validating their, their reality, their experience, their pain is real. You know, I mean, that is a fact. And I always say to patients, you know, anybody who says the pain is all in your head is either cruel or ignorant or both because they're implying it's not real, that you're faking, you're making it up, you're crazy, it's your fault, you want the pain. None of that is true. So that's the, that's the background that I, you know, I think of, for me, when I start with those three things, then they, they can listen. And right. then I'm doing that. And then I say, well, you know, you can't understand pain unless you understand, you can't, we can't understand your pain unless we understand what pain is. Right. So right. then I'm like, okay, let's go to, let's talk about predictive coding. You know, if when I put, if, if I gave you glasses that turned the world, prism glasses that turned the world upside down, you'd see the world upside down. Right. for a few days. But then right. it, but then your brain would change the world right side up again. Right. 
because we don't see with our eyes, we see with our brain. So I'm just giving, then I'm just telling all the stuff that I just, we just talked about the exact same stuff about the apple and the peach, um, about how we hear, uh, about what brain is, about the danger signal, about, the, you know, I have all these little stories that I tell to illustrate, because people learn by stories, right? So I have all these little stories that I tell that I explain, I first explain pain in their brain. And then I say, okay, this is, this is what neural circuit pain looks like. It turns on, it turns off, it's inconsistent, it varies. It's worse, you know, often worse after exercise rather than during, it's triggered by innocuous stimuli. And then I go, okay, let's look at your pain. What does your pain do? Let's get all the details and see if they line up and let's review all the medical records. So I'm just going through that step-by-step, step, very systematically, very caringly, very lovingly, and getting to the point where we can make a determination. And if we agree that it is neurocircuit pain, then we can move on to treatment. If we don't, then we need to investigate more or we need to go separate ways and maybe come back later. Well, the thing that you and I both see and again, we could talk for days on the stuff we're talking about, but the thing that you and I both see, we can't always predict who it's going to happen to, and each person is different, but it's about helping people feel safe, but we have watched many, many people resolve the chronic pain, and as you well know, the medical profession, why that's not considered the norm, and we consider it unusual if somebody doesn't heal their pain, we feel badly if we haven't helped them find the key to it, and I just want to finish off the segment with one particular thing. I just want to, I don't want to rant too much because there's lots of things to be happy about. But, you know, there's a particularly onerous term is that the reason I had to come to Seattle, it was a course in compassion, empathy in the face of chronic pain, is that patients get labeled by everybody, their family, their friends, but even by doctors put labels on people saying, well, we can't see a structural problem. Therefore, you're psychological or live a good life or you have to just do the best you can do. And they now come up with a new term that I've just heard the last couple of years called medically unexplained symptoms, which really upsets me because when you look at the body's physiology and the changes in the neural circuitry, the neuroscience has been really clear the last 10 years, particularly even the last 20, but especially the last 10 years of saying, look, look at the neural imaging, look at the body chemistry. It's right there. This is not, these are all explained symptoms. Do you have any comments on that term called medically unexplained symptoms? Yeah, it's, it's just another way of saying, we don't know. Right. But it doesn't help anybody. No. Saying you have fibromyalgia is another way of saying, we don't know. Right. It doesn't help anybody. Uh, that's why, you know, this, this approach, this, the assessment approach of the rule out and the rule in can tell people, people, people don't need to know what they don't, they need to know what they don't have, but that's not enough. No. They also need to know what they do have. Right. And that's the point of, I think, the, some of the power of this work is helping us communicate, is helping to, is so that we can communicate with patients to explain what they do have. This is a positive diagnosis because it's positive in the sense of we know what this is. Here's the data to show what it is. And it's positive in the sense that it's hopeful and optimistic. And right. as you well know, hope and optimism are powerful forces that can change neural circuits in the brain. Right, absolutely. So Harry, was, um, can you tell us, um, just remind us of the books that you have written and how we can access these books? Oh, sure. Uh, uh, my first book is Unlearn Your Pain. Uh, 
Uh, second book is Unlearn Your Anxiety and Depression. Uh, Unlearn Your Pain is now in Spanish as well as an ebook. Um, and then I wrote a book, as you mentioned, with Dr. Alan Abbas, uh, Hidden from View. Hidden from View is for professionals. Uh, and uh, there's another book for professionals, of course, that I'm an editor on that you are, are as well, um, a textbook on psychophysiologic disorders. Right. So, um, you know, my books are available from my website, unlearnyourpain.com. Uh, and are then they they're available on Amazon. Yes, they're available on Amazon as well okay. in ebook, ebook form or uh, you know hardcover. <laughs> and they also can find you on the website under your name, Dr. Howard Schubner, as far as access in your practice in Detroit, right? Yeah, unlearnyourpain.com is my website. I'm pretty easy to find, and my email is there. And people are welcome to email me if they have questions. And then, don't you do? Do you also do telemedicine courses now? I'm teaching courses for uh, health practitioners. This is really uh, one of the most fun and I think important things that, that we're doing. So uh, we're working hard to um, uh, teach. And it might, the way, I think that everybody, all health practitioners can and should be involved in not only in assessing and diagnosing and treating, and this includes uh, physicians, phys physician assistants, nurse practitioners, physical therapists, occupational therapists, psychologists, social workers, massage teachers, yoga teachers, Reiki teachers, chiropractors. Um, you know, I, we've acupuncturists, we train so many different people, right. mind-body coaches that are folks who really care about this and can understand it. And often they understand it way better than most physicians do, as you well know. I just had a thought. I have the ultimate challenge for you. Mm. Can you teach me to unlearn my terrible golf swing? Yeah, <laughs> you have you have us you have an amazing coach in the Seattle area who's a special. I can't remember his name. Is he's a special? Amy. Yeah, my, he's a mind body medicine golf teacher. <laughs> I know I, it still didn't work. So I, I have a terminal terminally ill golf swing. But anyway, I'm still working well, how, on as well. <laughs> anyway, well, thank you very much for being on the segment of the show, and then. The second segment, we'll talk about um, the two other aspects of your work, and I'm very excited to have you on the show. So thank you very much. It's a pleasure, Dave, and an honor. Thanks. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Howard Schubner, for being on the show today and for sharing the principles of his mind-body approach to the treatment of chronic pain. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.